Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. We have a very special guest. And I'm just thrilled because I have watched Tanya's career grow and she's doing some very important work. And her name is Chef Tanya Holland. Hello, Tanya. Hi, Denise. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. I want to thank you again for your time today because I know you are one busy person. <laughs> you are. And Tanya was so cute and asked us to send her a calendar reminder. And Cindy and I, of course, since we both pretty much retired, we like said, we don't have that anymore. <laughs> and their only reason is, Tanya, we had clients, and I know you'll appreciate this, we had clients that sent us those three days in advance and then two days in advance. And they were all of them, and this is going to be, this sounds really nasty, but they were all like 27 years old, and they were all now senior art directors, and they would send it, and then they'd say things like, 15 minutes Starts. So Cindy and I got kind of burnt out on the calendar. Forgive us. I, I get it. I get we were it. old school and both had pencils and papers in the calendar. <laughs> now, the reason I wanted you, and I'm so grateful, Tanya, to be on is, uh, so I'm turning on Netflix because I'm a Netflix junkie. And there you are as a judge on a brand new TV show, or I think it's fairly new. And tell us the name. The Great Soul Food Cook-Off. Yes. The one you saw. It was wonderful. I oh. I watched one episode and mostly because I when I saw you, I thought, oh, my God, because I had not kept up with what you were doing. And then I stalked Tanya by friending her on <laughs> Facebook. And I was lucky enough that we have so many mutual friends. She accepted my invitation. <laughs> Be, I appreciate it. So I saw you on that and I thought, well, I'm going to have her on. And then I went to Amazon to see your latest book. But before we get to your latest cookbook, because you've written three, haven't you, Tanya? You've got three yep. cookbooks. Yep, I have. I need to tell people, I want you to tell us a little bit about how you went from uh, Russian literature to getting into owning your own restaurants. Because that's a journey. <laughs> it is a journey. Um, well, you know, that's after like applying to engineering schools and starting off like, you know, studying math and science and not really enjoying it, not doing well and doing well in my electives, which were languages and art history and writing. The arts. Yeah. Yeah. The humanities. Um, so I majored in Russian language and literature. And, um, you know, when I graduated, a lot of opportunities were like with military applications with language, uh, with Russian in particular, or you could teach. And I didn't really want to do either one. So I started working in advertising. I always had a restaurant job since my second year of college to just have some extra spending money. But I didn't really think of it as a career till I moved to New York City um, in the late 80s. And I just like, you know, the restaurant scene was just so vibrant. And um, I was working at an advertising firm, and then my second job for a while was working in a department store, Barney's. And um, I wasn't challenged at the um, advertising firm. It was still kind of like Mad Men, you know, all the, yes. all the women were administrative assistants and the, <laughs> the men were junior account execs, you know, graduating from college or, or not even graduating from college, yes. the men. So... I was working, there was a woman who was like 20 years older than me at Barney's 
And, you know, we became friends, really nice woman. And she's like, you know, I know you're not challenged there. My friend has a catering company. He needs an office manager. I think you'd be perfect for it. And it was, I went, I interviewed, got the job. It was really like the job that really changed the trajectory of my career. Um, it was called the Upper Crust. Um, it may even still be in business. It was on Horatio, Horatio and on the West Side. And we did events at the Guggenheim, the MoMA, the Pierpont Morgan Library, like all these like high-end events. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, the waiters were in tuxedos. I met lighting designers, floral designers. Uh, he was featured in House Beautiful. I, I met, you know, food writer, food stylist. I did all these like career things I didn't know existed. And um, then I started taking classes at Peter Kump's on the Upper East Side, took wine and, and cooking classes. And I just fell in love with the industry. I thought, wow, this is a cool industry. I'll never get bored. There's always, you know, something new to learn. And then I found this program in France and I always wanted to live and work in France. Um, and so I found a cooking program and I went to La Varenne and uh, worked in exchange for my classes there and uh, just came back and start cook I cooked in some restaurants there and came back and start cooking in kitchens here and worked my way up and Again, always doing things on the side. <laughs> no, it just, I think that you have to cobble. It's getting better. But yeah. most, especially women, and, and certainly some men, you've co you cobble together this career in food. Yeah. Yeah. It's not enough to just, there's never been enough money. It takes a while to get, yeah. you know, every food writer, even in the olden days, Tanya, they had either, they had a wealthy spouse hundred percent. Yes. Okay. Very yeah. wealthy spouse. And I used to say this when I, in the olden days of IACP, I'd think to myself, I need to marry somebody. Right. I know. I know. That I want. But when you say La Varenne, I'm going to uh, Europe on Friday and I'm having dinner with Anne Willen because she's in London. So you are, she's been wow. when after Anne's, after Mark's stroke and Anne sold the estate in Burgundy, she moved to Santa Monica. So I was so lucky. So for four years, I called them and I always would, I've threatened her and told her many times, I'm writing the book called Lunches with Anne <laughs> after she passes away yeah. because we got to have lunch almost every month. And when she's, I mean, for years, she was just an idol and she actually kind of scared me because you know she's very buttoned down yeah, when you yeah. first get to meet her yeah and now that she and then when we became friends uh cindy knows too because cindy joined us a lot she's a funny she's a very funny wonderful woman who helped a lot of women in food you know mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. she it created a real situation that helped people yeah. So when I saw that, I read your bio, and I saw that you'd gone to Love Run in Burgundy. I thought, how fabulous. Um, another connection. Now, so when you, so you got, so you were in a catering assistant, and then you started working in restaurants. So I, you know, I was in catering. That's the reason I was in catering, Tanya, and it, it wasn't my idea. But when I went to the CCA, this is in 1984, there were three women, five women at the most in my class. That was it. And the chefs said things to us like, oh, you know, we're glad to have you go get me a cup of coffee, but there's no jobs for you. I mean, And I used to go into the dean's office and say to them, 
You know, when I just plunked down almost $20,000, I don't think that guy should tell me there's no job for me. But of course, as I look back, he was, it was true. There was very little jobs for me. So I got into catering because I could get a job in a catering kitchen. That's why I did it because restaurants weren't even hiring women there. I mean, I went to my favorite restaurants in the, or in the middle eighties and they said things like, Oh honey, that's so cute. No, <laughs> no, we have no job for you. So, but I loved catering. And when you mentioned the locations that you catered in, it's a thrill. Yeah. Yeah. It's a performance. And, and uh, it was exciting, you know, to see the guests that would arrive and everything, but it was definitely, you know, very patriarchal. I mean, most of the waiters at that time were men. There were a few. Women. Oh yeah. Um, so it was, it was definitely a different, a different time, you know, and like you said, you know, careers are not, especially culinary careers. And for women, they're not linear. And, um, you know, again, I was always supplementing. I was in the front of the house for seven years before I went uh, to cooking school, which is kind of unusual for a chef. Um, there are a few, but, um, you know, I also worked in a wine shop and, uh, you know, I just did so many things. And then when I was cooking also, I had to supplement my income. It wasn't enough. And I was an assistant food stylist, you know. And I, for, for Roscoe, right? I did work for Roscoe. Yes. And yes. William Smith as well. Mm -hmm. oh, well. William Smith, we know. I do yeah. not know Roscoe, but I know of him. And we I think we've talked on the phone or at like the San Francisco Professional Food Society. Okay. Roscoe but is our link crazy. was always Linda Carucci. Yeah. Yeah. Linda Carucci, who lives in Oakland and who's taught in Oakland. But Linda Carucci and I went to school together. I graduated right before her. She brought me the very first time to your Brown Sugar Kitchen. Oh, wow. And that's when, and it was, you hadn't been open that long. Tanya, yeah, and I, was, I kind of remember was, when she came in. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Long time ago. And it, I was so impressed and it was so wonderful. Again, there were so, one of the things having graduated early from culinary school, you know, getting into it was when we were working for men, I would say to my friends, the few women that I had that were in food, I'd say, you know, we need to work for women <laughs> we need to get into kitchens. Or what I found out afterwards and after I'd gotten into catering is I thought I need to open my own catering. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I need yeah. to be the boss. I need yeah. to be the chef in charge. Otherwise, we can't make any changes. Right. We I mean? have to create our own opportunities. And, Absolutely. You know, we have so, to be leadership. Mm -hmm. All those things. And and also, I knew that I could do it. I yeah. knew, I'd, be, I'd been a boss. I'd been a real estate broker in Marin for my father's two offices. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There were 50-something salesmen. I knew how to run a business, and I knew about money. And... And so, and of course, I'm saying this like I'm so smart, but I wasn't so smart to throw that away and go to culinary school. <laughs> oh, well, it worked right. out eventually. <laughs> it worked out eventually. It only yeah. took me maybe 10 years to make the same amount of money, but never mind. Who's counting? Yeah. Now, tell so, well, to me, though, what it sounds like, and when you got to Brown Sugar Kitchen, you knew about waitstaff, you knew about wine, you knew about the presentation of food. So you had made all those things work for you and sales. Because and you said restaurants are performances also, it's a lot about sales. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I want I want to go back to what Please. you talked about um, because I you know I've, I've told a few people this, but I don't know if it's been recorded. But you know when I was in France, I had been working in New York City, so I had aspirations to return to New York City and work in you know for Jean George or Danielle or you know there weren't women. The only woman I knew of the time was Anne Rosenzweig, right? Yes. Um, and I heard she was really tough, of course, as yes. women always get that reputation when we take yeah. our work seriously and we yeah. have high standards, which well, we're, called tough. For her. we're called tough if we just say no. Exactly. Or do it my difficult. way. We're difficult, difficult. right? So um, I wrote them all these wonderful cover letters. I had a great resume and I heard from very few of them. Few of them I heard from, I showed up at the door you know, obviously they knew I was a woman, Tanya, but my name sounds very Anglo. And they looked at me like I had two he two heads on my shoulders. Like they were like a black woman. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like they couldn't deal with it. And then, you know, one kitchen I did get into in Boston, you know, these guys were like, um, you, how did you go to school in France? How did you go to university Virginia, like, like they were just like, they couldn't believe it. And they were so insecure. I made them even more insecure. So it manifested in them not sharing their knowledge and, you know, withholding knowledge for me and me not being able to learn. And the chef himself said, you know, you should be the pastry chef. It would be so much easier for you. And I was like, um, yeah, that's not what I want to do. And it, you know, it's just really disappointing that, you know, it would go on for years. And even Patrick Clark, the late Patrick Clark, great chef, said to me, Tanya, leave New York. As a woman, you're just not going to find the kind of opportunities here that you want. And I was like, no way. Are you kidding? Like, this is where I want to be. And I, you know, I stuck it out for years, but he was right. You know, they're just, um, they weren't, you know, you they, I couldn't get the opportunities that I, that I deserved, you know, having the kind of work ethic I did, the credentials I had. Um, yeah, it was really, it was really frustrating. Tanya, I had a similar situation because I lived in San Francisco. My family's from San Francisco. I was born in San Francisco, but I got out of school and everybody stays there. Do you see it? All the culinary grant in yeah. those days, I think it's changed now because it's yeah. so expensive and there's so little housing, yeah. but everyone stayed. So when you went out for a job, your competition was the white 25 year old guy. Yeah who had the same degree as you had. And they looked at me and I was 33. So they yeah. already thought that I was older. Right. And of course, and I always say to them, no, it's a great year. It's the year Jesus died on the cross. <laughs> yeah. Like saying, oh, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Yeah. But it was very difficult. And when you say Patrick Clark, he was in LA for about a year. And I re only reason I, I didn't know him until they were, I think it was Los Angeles Magazine, who I styled for, did an article on him. And, yeah. and I got to go and style the plate. But the reason I say it was, he was so charming and so lovely. And um, we just talked about the kitchen. That's all. Yeah. You know, we talked about the yeah. kitchen yeah. and that it was. Yeah. So no, he was great. Um, so I also, while I was at the catering company, I begged my boss to pay for this class I found at NYU. It was $110. <laughs> and it was eight weeks, and it was called The Business of Food. And every week, and I can't remember the instructor's name to save my life, but every week, a different professional came in and told us about their career path. And one week, 
Um, Patrick came in oh. with, oh, I always forget his name. He he started, I think, Smith and Walensky. Um, okay, I can't, I don't remember. Yeah. And then another week, Joseph Baum came in with Tim Zagat. Mm -hmm. Another week, Eli Zabar came in. Another week, Arian Dogan, uh, Knock Waxman. All these like people who, you know, were legends and stayed legends. Yeah. Um, yes. And I learned so much, but that's how I got to meet Patrick. And then I later contacted him. I didn't want to work. He had already closed Metro when I got back from cooking school. I didn't want to work at Tavern on the Green. It just was too big for me, I knew. Um, but I, I asked him for like an informational interview. And, um, you know, that was like his, his suggestions was to leave. And then I also want to circle back to you when you talk about, if, you know, because this is before Brown Sugar Kitchen, so I want to talk about it. Please. About, um, you said, why does nobody know about this food? Gullah and whatever. Um, so, you know, you never know where your career is going to take you. And I think, you know, they say like, you know, what is it like? I mean, it's preparation, right? Being prepared. and um, But I was, you know, kind of minding my own business in between cooking jobs, looking for a new opportunity and reached out to the career planning uh, person at Peter Comps because I was kind of a pseudo alum, even though I didn't graduate from there. And he, I said, can you look for, you know, something for me, um, you know, executive Sue or something. And so he called me two weeks later and said, I don't have a cook, that kind of job, but the food network is looking for an African-American female chef. Are you interested? <laughs> and that was 2000. I was the first, you know, African-American female chef cast on that network. And um, they had paired me with this uh, this man, older African American man, and we did our um, we did our our media training together, and we didn't really have any chemistry, and so they decided to replace him and found my co-host Cheryl. But uh, one part of the show was taping, doing a tape piece off site, and I had wanted to go to New Orleans, but another chef was doing something in New Orleans. So they said, we want to take you to this plantation in Georgia. And I was like, okay, I've never been to a plantation, never really thought I was going to, but okay, let's do it. So I didn't know what to expect, but I wanted to go to Savannah. I actually thought of working for, as looking for women chefs, you know, um, Elizabeth on 37th, the chef there, you know, I, I kind of wanted to work for her. We ended up doing a segment with her. So it was really wonderful. Nice. Um, but go to the plantation and it turns out there's a gentleman there from Sierra Leone who's teaching me how to make jollof rice because he wants to show African-Americans their contribution to the foodways and to show what was brought from Africa and what was found here and what was created and how innovative we were and how the, the food was this, this cuisine was this fusion. And I was like, I found it so empowering to first of all, be on my ancestral ground and to like, you just never know. Like I really felt the energy. And then how wonderful I said to, and then that was empowering. Like what? Oh, look at what we did. You know, nobody ever told me that before. And I said to the producers, we need to make this into a special. We need to make this into a show. That was in 2001, I think, and fell on deaf ears. And it's basically oh. what high the hog is, you know? So now, I was just going to say, I mean, basically, I worked, that was that when you were on Melting Pot? Yes. 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 Okay. 
I worked for Food Network during the 90s. They were in the beginning. I mean, they, it was really the beginning. With but to Sue, make a lot of sure. Sue, uh, well, we have all these friends that come. Sue Huffman Robinson. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm, this is, <laughs> Robin Leach had a Oh my show. God, I okay. forgot about him. Now, we won't talk about that because neither of us have been drinking and I don't feel that. <laughs> That language is ever appropriate, but never mind. He was a character and he tipped well. I that's all I can say. Oh well that's good. He wouldn't have he wouldn't make it into society today. I believe they call it sexual harassment <laughs> or groping. Never mind. So I worked for the exactly what you're saying, Tanya. And I don't want to interrupt you because I want to hear it's fascinating. But when High and the Hog came out, see, I'd gotten a big job with the learning channel and the hostess was a woman, this is 93, named Yvonne White. She was a black woman, but she was an event planner in LA. So she oh. had, she had done really well mm -hmm. and they built a TV show around her and we did 63 shows. Wow. That's and, a lot. Oh my God. That's, you know, in those days they wanted these huge orders, but the bottom line was she, she was charming. She was wonderful. And the only problem in the world is B Smith showed up. Oh, so, okay. So B Smith, yeah. who we also, Cindy and I worked with several times and mm. I adored her. Mm. B Smith buried Yvonne. Okay. That's all that oh, happened. Wow. wow. But, yeah. But during that time, the first, the five years I, I did many pilots for TV food network, meaning with working with people, yeah. the hog had come out and I said, you guys should do a TV show with Jessica Harris. And they, they looked at me like, Huh? And then another one we were, I said, you guys should do this woman who I yeah. uh, can't, it was, may have been Joyce Chen, but I just said there could be a whole series on Chinese food. And do you know what they said to me? What do you mean? They're, we already have Martin Yan. <laughs> oh, no, there can yeah. only be one. Yeah, there can only be there one. There could only be one yeah. in those days. Yeah. Remember, there could only be one. So, yeah. I, well, you know, they, they end up. Look at the inlets. Look at the inroads you made, Tanya. This is extraordinary. Oh, well, thank you. They ended it's up, extreme. well, I mean, you say this, but they ended up doing a, <clears throat> a, a test with me and Jessica too, and they didn't select her. And I think she mm -hmm. has disliked me ever since. You oh, know? well, it had, no had nothing to do with me. Of course. Kids, you know, but, um, you know, I mean, inroads, yes, but, uh, you know, I don't, oh, I don't have the same, I haven't had the same financial opportunities. They didn't reinvest in us. I if understand. You look, if you look at the Melting Pot series, Michael Simon came out of there, Rocco de Spirito, Cat Cora, Adam Sanchez, Padma, you know, they didn't, and even Wayne Harley Brackman had a show for a while. Um, Michelle, um, I forgot, but they, yeah, they didn't reinvest in us. They didn't give us much opportunity to find a format that we like, that we weren't squeezed into, that, you know, we weren't like, you know, seen as these tropes. And, it's been frustrating because I know I'm really good on television. I you know, but like I have not had the platform to really launch, launch, you know? So I, I mean, I'm constantly working on it, trying to create my own opportunities, but as you know, with TV, it's just like, it's a crap shoot, you know, it's, it's just, a crap. It's, shoot. Right, it's right place at the right time. It's. And there is only because you say Rocky Despirito, Despirito, who I think is one of the guys, and I hope he's not a dear friend of yours, who just keeps falling upward, no matter what he, 
he puts his foot in his mouth and he's really, I mean, we worked with him a couple of times and I thought he was the biggest jackass I ever met in my life. Oh. And he keeps falling yeah. up. So I don't know what's so. Well, that's like, you know, what did I, um, yeah, I call it white boy magic. I mean, look oh at my God. Tyler All right. And just if this know. makes you, I know how you feel. I do. Oh. Very much because I worked on too many pilots that didn't get sold. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. With yeah. really talented people. And and this is, I, I have no good news. All I can say is when I read in the trades that Rock, uh, that uh, Guy Fieri got the biggest deal that Food Network ever put together. And you look at him. Also, I fortunately did work with Guy once or twice. We won't go there because he could sue me. But it was shocking to me okay and he he got the biggest deal that food network has ever done to keep him for a few more years okay never mind so yeah ridiculous just ridiculous, ridiculous. and you know and again the physicality right the women how we have to look on tv oh these dudes like they're they're fat they're ugly it's like get your teeth fixed like what the fuck like their hair's falling out Sorry. No, you know, we, I you feel like I'm keeping it real with you. <laughs> no, you couldn't have said it better. Okay, you it's ridiculous. Said it better. You know what, Tanya? Cindy, will, I, Cindy you'll edit that out. Oh, yes, I. I am a firm believer. I don't have to edit it out. <laughs> we can I just am, put a little e on that episode. I'm a firm believer that there is we have to make our own opportunities absolutely yeah. i think there is some absolute luck in our lives and i think there is a yeah. journey that we're all supposed to take yeah. and tanya so what i'd like to ask you about so how did you pull it together to open brown sugar kitchen uh good question so i mean i opened that restaurant with a hundred and ten thousand dollars which See? is like unheard of right i've like, heard of that's all i could raise and that was like you know, 10 investors at five and 10,000 each. And these are people who could have easily written more bigger checks and would have written them for a guy, right? Yeah. Um, the landlord would not even lease to me unless my husband signed the lease as well. And he was working in insurance and did not know anything about the business. So that was annoying. Jesus, um, I know. And, uh, you know, because I catered and I was kind of, I working for caterers and catering while I was working my business plan, looking for the right real estate. Um, I just thought like, well, I've got this rinky dink kitchen, you know, you saw the location. It wasn't what I aspired to. No, but it, but it was, honey, it was very charming. That's all well, charming about. to the <laughs> consumer, <laughs> not to the operator, me who was dealing with, you know, antiquated plumbing and electrical. Yes. And, well, um, oh, that security <laughs> issues and graffiti abatement. And like, like, you know, I had to deal with so much more than just running a restaurant. Okay. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I was shopping around this French bistro concept and I had this vision and, you know, I didn't get the right real estate. So I was in West Oakland. I knew that was too esoteric for that neighborhood. So I started playing around with names and came up with the name Brown Sugar Kitchen. My graphic designer was like, oh my God, I love it. She started working on the design and, um, you know, it just, it became like, I don't know. I could never have guessed that it was going to turn into what it did. It was like the little restaurant that could and, uh, you know, became this like, you know, we got this cult following. And, and 
it got national acclaim. I mean, international as well. I know. I mean, kind yeah. of, I watched it. I mean, I got to eat there, as I said. But then when I followed you and looked at things, it was amazing what came out of the. And you got a cookbook deal and you wrote a wonderful yeah. cookbook from your yeah. restaurant. Yeah. And that cookbook was published in Japanese. And I just went to Tokyo <gasps> for the first time and I got to take a couple copies with me and, and share it. And so that was exciting. I'm hoping I can open something over there, actually. That's amazing yeah yeah um no it was it was you know it was a great happy accident um i never aspired to cook breakfast who aspires to cook breakfast I, <laughs> like you know brunch like people would like you know the brunch shifts when you had to oh work my god just like uh but there i was you know cooking brunch for over 14 years um and people to this day, you know, like, oh, my God, I miss brown sugar kitchen. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm sure. This, you oh, know. No, I'm sure. You know. Without a doubt. Yeah. How did you know? So when you all of a sudden you got a cookbook deal, Tanya, how did you know to approach that? Um. <clears throat> well, or did you? Because I know my fr the first, the first book one? I ever wrote the was horrible for me. Huh? First one. Yeah. So when I had, you know. I mean, not by anybody sharing any information, by the way, let me tell you. you know, I mean, you can tell I'm a go-getter and I go after yes. I'm like, hey, you know, Bobby. Oh, you know, oh, it doesn't happen overnight. Oh, yeah. Oh. I can, yeah. Hi, Tyler. You know, nothing. Um, Ming, what do you, how do you let, oh, I'm still trying to figure it out. What, really? Like, these guys would not give up any information. So I had a friend who was working in publishing and she's like, you know, with this TV thing, you have a great platform. You should yes. write a, write a book. And then I moved out here. I was working for the culinary. Um, what's it? What do they call themselves? Center for culinary development. Is that what they, CCD? Oh yes. I, yeah. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Mark Halprin, who I know, you know, yes told me about the food writer symposium at the Greenbrier. And so I ended up going there and I met my first uh, cookbook agent, Lisa Eckes, whose ex-husband had media trained me, Lou Eckes. Um, and then she, so she's like, yeah, I'd love to, you know, sell a cookbook. And since I was still on television, you know, they felt like it was, you know, we got a deal pretty fast. It wasn't a lot of money. Um, you know, they were like, let's get it out. It wasn't the best cookbook. It's not in print anymore, you know, but it was, it was a vehicle, right? So absolutely. that's why I figured out the second one was a little bit easier. Um, you know, the recipes were mostly developed and tested. So that helped too. I was able to afford a co-writer um, and, you know, really be more involved in the photography. The photography was a little bit more organic coming from the restaurant and not in a studio. So that was a much better product. Got it. Third time's a charm. <laughs> California sold, got even bigger budget. I had another co-writer, you know, better design. I had more influence in the design. And, you know, I'm so pleased with this book, you know. Um, now, I just ordered it this morning. Yeah. I wish I'd ordered it a couple of days ago before when I knew you were coming on, but I just hadn't gotten to it oh. now, but I ordered it. It looks absolutely beautiful, Tanya. I mean, and yeah. isn't that wonderful to say how you grew so that the book looks better? Yes. yes. And I so understand that Lisa Eck has sold five books for me. Okay? Oh, wow. 
Yeah. So I, and I, you know, I knew Lisa and Lou when they were still married. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and now Sally, you know, but. Is in it. Yeah. She's working with a colleague of mine. Yeah. She's incredible. Actually, Sally's been on the show and Sally's really taken the reins. It's uh. it, in those days, if you didn't get Lisa Eckes as your agent, it was really tough to get a book sold. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. now it's much more open. There's other people, but yeah. Yeah. good for you. Tell me this, did COVID totally make it more difficult for you to sell the last book? Do you think it affected the sales at all? No, and actually, you know, I mean, COVID and then the racial, uh, the racial reckoning was kind of a gift for me that okay. I, I, for the first time in my career, I like fully felt seen and heard. People wanted to hear from black women. And so yes. I got a lot of press, a lot of attention and people were kind of paying reparations to a certain extent, you know, in the, in the publishing world. Yeah, they, it was great. I mean, I, I was really, you know, the timing ended up working out. I had been working on the book for like five or six years, the concept of a new cookbook and came up with this title um, sometime in 2020, I think um, maybe, maybe before COVID, maybe during COVID, I can't remember now, but um, you know, and then I had a little bit more downtime, so it was a good, yes. and as did other people who were involved in the project. So, um, we were able to just, yeah, create this beautiful product. I'm really proud of it. Uh, please tell us, tell me, so I don't mangle, tell us the name right now. So I don't yeah. mangle. Well, it's called Tanya Holland's California Soul because another book, I was just going to call it California Soul. Um, but another book was published, a memoir by an L.A. chef called California Soul. Um, but now, you know, I, I think it's it's great, you know, because it's like it also builds my brand. And it's, yes. it's about a chef's culinary journey west. And it's not only about me coming to the West Coast, you know, more than 20 years ago and how it's about and how California living in California has affected my cooking style and how I cook. Um but we also cover the migration of African-Americans from the South to California, uh, which uh, most of my maternal side of my family did migrate from Louisiana, except for my grandmother. All her siblings did. Uh, most of my grandfather's siblings. Um, so there's that story. And then we also feature uh, the story of some Black makers in California who, uh, you know, from beer, wine, uh, date farmer, local farmers, um, to highlight them and again, their contribution to California cuisine. Um, you know, I love telling stories. Like I said earlier in, in college, I mean, I became attracted to writing. I still, I, I enjoy writing and, um, you know, always want to know the background. So I thought other people would as well. And, and people really are enjoying the story. You of know it. what, Tonya, when you tell me this and, uh, and I can't wait for my copy and I'm hoping the people that listen to this podcast, most of them, we have I mean, a really a, kind of a huge crowd of 40-year-old women. I'm not sure why that is. I think they're looking for hope and direction. But a lot of the people that listen to us are women that were in food in some way. So I think that your book would totally appeal to them because the thought that you're also farmers are in there and people that made products yeah, and stuff. Yeah. This is huge. But also what I really wanted to say is you've been thinking about this book for five years. You were ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. I mean, now there's, you know, there's been a renaissance of black yeah. cookbooks and yeah. thank goodness. 
And yeah. thank goodness. Absolutely. But, no, and I've always been ahead of the curve. I know. And, you, you know, know, it's really hard. You know, when you're the pioneer, you don't get to reap the benefits of the work you do a lot of times, you know? I couldn't agree with you more. And sometimes when you're an idea generator, you don't get the, the amount of financial back yeah. from it. Yeah. And I'll never forget. Once when I was at TV Food Network, but I'd worked with them so much. And they turned to me and they said, oh, Denise, if you hadn't been so old, you could have been Rachel Ray. And I thought, and I worked yeah. with Rachel many times. She was very nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she, but what Rachel knew when they first hired her about food, I, they could have put in my pocket. You know, what I mean? oh, you don't, you don't have to tell me because I was I was on the stages when they yeah. when she came on. Yeah. Um, and so, there's there's some other people that were yeah. similar to that. Um, and wait, we will wait till one time when we are together and speak of them privately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm yeah, no, I had a producer tell me I was too old too when I was like 34 or five. Um, like he's like, oh, I think you might be. I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> one of the things, and this sounds terrible, and Tanya, I can't thank you enough, but I'm going to make you promise that you will come back and talk to us again about your history and food and the stories that you tell in your book. So when I get right. my book, I'll pick some things out and then you can tell us the background. Sounds I know good. this. It, it's been worth every moment, but there are times that I've looked forward and thought, did I miss the opportunity or was it just not mine? Do you know what I mean? There's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can. I know. You do what you can. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think about that too. Um, but then I, I just try to pivot to positivity and it's like, that's you know, exactly right. We're all on our own journey, right? The timing Absolutely. is you know, divine. Well, I have nothing, ad, nothing but admiration for you. Oh, thank and you. I will say this being a TV producer for all those years for, you know, lifetime mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. channel TV food network. I got very blunt. That's all I can say, Tanya. And I didn't really mean to. I mean, I didn't realize it, but like you were just saying, people say you were too old. And there's a young woman that works in L.A. She's wonderful. She's But she's 50. And I'm at a cocktail party not too long ago. And she came in and I hadn't seen her for a long time. And she said to me, <laughs> this sounds terrible. She said, you know, Denise, Food Network, uh, I went to for another you know, meeting with them, but basically they just said I was too old. And Tanya, I didn't mean to. I said, well, honey, you are. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but I felt like saying, read the room. You know yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, even, well, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you more about production or, you know, oh, yes. ideas because I still think, you know, when you look at, you know, the popularity of Martha and Ina, Absolutely. I do, I do think that there's room for my point of view. I agree. In this uh, now, TV world, um, because I do think people do want to hear from people who actually and, have experience. And here's the other thing. You know what you're talking about. See, this is, right. I tried to show us, sell a show not too long ago. No, it's not dead, but we put together the most beautiful sizzle reel. And if we got any interest on you, we would add you to it. And it was, I was trying to make a mix of young and old, not old. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying in TV yeah, years. Intergenerational. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, when people look at me now, Tanya, I know that sometimes I run into people I used to work with and they're, they, they, they're surprised I'm still alive. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they say things. I didn't know you were still alive, Denise. I mean, that is what it is. But 
I agree with you. And you know, now when I look at you and I think of B. Smith White, you should be, you should be B. B Smith in a modern day. Well, I know. Um, you know, that's that's let's put that out of the universe. That's a goal of mine. Um you'd be that, that would be amazing. incredible. Yeah. I mean, because I have excellent taste, by the way. I know. <laughs> and you know, I just need the platform to execute it and show it. And I'm working on it. Um good, good. But yeah, I mean, that was like, you know, uh definitely an aspiration of mine to be that or you know, even when I was cooking in my early twenties, you know, one of my colleagues is like you're gonna be the black martha stewart like you know people could see this for me um well, some so, people, you know, there's still a chance there is t very much still a chance i was yeah. gonna say you're almost not old enough do you know what i'm saying you can't be I, but i feel like in the i'm almost i'm almost 60 that's martha is 80 something yeah, but when she hit her stride, and same with she was, Arthur, she was fifty-ish. They were in yeah, their fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honey, thank you so much, and I mean it. I'm gonna make. I will stalk you again on Facebook to make you ask you to come back and talk to us about your book some more because I think that people, the stories that are in it, are really, um, yeah, they're important for people to know. That's all. They're important for people to know. I agree. All right. Thank you so much. Thank sweet. you, Tanya. If people want to reach out to us, you, of course, contact us at womenbeyond at iCloud.com. When we broadcast, and Cindy takes care of all that, people know Cindy keeps the train on the tracks because I am a te technically bankrupt. And <laughs> we will put all the information about Tanya we can when we broadcast this podcast. So if you want to reach out to Tanya, you'll know how to reach her. You'll know how to buy her book on Amazon.com. If you have questions, we love questions. We love messages. We love people to contact us at womenbeyond at iCloud.com and say, Denise, Cindy, that was a brilliant podcast. And even if they just say that was a good podcast, we'll take that too. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Cindy. And have a glorious day. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you. You are fabulous. Oh, thank wonderful. You. Thank you. Wonderful. So much. Thank you.